thanks for checking out this message from Springmount Church. For more information about us and what we do, visit our website, springmount.church. Why not check out all the different groups that run throughout each week in Barrow and on Walney? And join us every Sunday from 11am at Salt House Pavilion in Barrow Infernos. If you would like us as a church to pray for you, please email prayer at springmount.church or sign up on our website for monthly news straight to your inbox. Okay, welcome. For those of you who are new, I think every time we, we start something, there's always somebody who's either come back for the first time in ages or somebody who's never been before, so it's great to welcome you. Um, and this morning we're leading up to Christmas with a series that's all about Christmas through the carols, so it's joy to the world. So we all know carols, um, and actually we often sing some pretty deep truths that we maybe not realise we're singing about because they've become so familiar. And if you've been coming to Spring Mount for some time, you'll know that they are probably my least favourite things. In fact, actually, I really can't stand carols, okay? The only carol I like is my mother-in-law carol, uh, maybe Carol Vorderman, maybe, who knows? But Christmas carols are my least favourite type of songs, probably because from being quite little... I was obviously a little choir boy in school, you know, I would sing in the choir and I would do all those things and then I taught music in a school, so I sang carols until, probably started in September if I'm honest, and actually by the time you get to Christmas and everyone else is going, oh let's sing some carols, I'm thinking I've had enough of this, thank you very much, I've had you know, just enough of Ding Dong Merrily on High, thank you. But maybe it's also because of the time I sung in school and the lad next to me was sick in his hands and then carried on singing the carols. Maybe that's what it is that puts me off carols and it's a bit of a flashback or PTSD. Maybe it's because some of them contain an awful lot of nonsense. Okay, they do contain a lot of nonsense. Let me give you some examples. And I, O, I, O, I, O. Yeah? I think, yeah, 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 preach it. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? And I-O-I-O-I-O by priest and people swungen, I think is the other thing. They try and, they try and make up new words to rhyme as well. So there's through the, wind, wind, somebody, through the wind, and I think you had to say wind for it to rhyme with mind. So they, they take liberties, but and I-O-I-O-I-O, what does that mean? You know, from Ding Dong, are you with me this morning? You all sort of go, yeah, okay, right. Be nice to know that I'm not talking to a load of holograms. Or the other one, you know, I, I love the song In the Bleak Midwinter. I think it's a beautiful tune, but it's absolute nonsense. Snow had fallen, snow on snow. I don't think so in the Middle East. I don't really think they'd, they'd probably ever see you know, Earth stood hard as iron. I don't think it did. I think that's just somebody being poetic and summing up a real Victorian rose-tinted Christmas. It's nonsense, absolute nonsense. Or, you know, away in a manger, no crying he makes. <laughs> okay, gift. You've had a baby not so long ago, you know. No crying he makes, is that appropriate? Did you ever experience that one? No? Anyone else with babies, no crying he makes? Anyone? No? No? If you do, then everyone's got to come and see you for information and tips later on. But nonsense. And I think that's one reason why I struggle with Christmas carols, because I sang them too much. And because half the time, they mean nothing. But maybe I need to set some of that aside. Maybe I need to put that aside and ask myself, what are these songs telling me that I need to fully grasp about Christmas? When we sing them, because you'll go through 
shops and you'll hear it piped into elevators and you might even have it on the radio. But today, we're going to start with O Little Town of Bethlehem. That is one of my favorite carols. I like the tune. I like most of the words, I think. And it's one of my favorites. It was written in the 19th century by a church rector from Philadelphia. Whoop, Americans. Okay? It's an American carol. He'd, uh, Philip Brooks had just been on a trip to the Holy Land, and he'd sat in the hills looking down on Bethlehem, and he wrote the words to a little town of Bethlehem as he sat there in the peaceful night, and he took it back home, and his friend put music to it so that the children of the church would sing it. But I want to focus on one line of the song, and that's this line, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in ye tonight. O little child of Bethlehem, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in you tonight. That's what this carol means to me. We all know what fear is, don't we? Yeah? Okay, some of you, anyone scared of heights? Some people are so scared of heights, they can't put their hand up. That's amazing. Okay, good job. Ewan wasn't this morning as he stood on his chair. What about scared of um, the dark? Anyone still scared of the dark? Okay, nice one, nice one there. Nice one, Tilly. Um, what about scared of a particular animal? Yeah, okay. I'll, I would tell you a story about that, but I haven't got time. But we all have fears of some sort. There was a lady who used to come to Rosie's toddler group who had a fear of buttons. I mean, that, that must be a nightmare. Absolute nightmare. How do you go through life? Everything's Velcro, like the full Monty, I don't know. But fear of buttons. But actually, fear we know all about, and we have different fears. How many of you have got hopes this morning? Yeah? Oh, some people are hopeless looking at, the, looking at your hands. We've got hopes, haven't we? We're all hoping that one day we can just walk out and not have to wear a mask or, or that there's no new variants of COVID, you know. We're, we're hoping those things. We're hoping next year will be better than this year. We're hoping that Christmas will give us a bit of rest and a peace. We're hoping that Eric will build his house really quickly, then you don't have to live in a camper van with four children for too long, you know. Maybe you're hoping those things, but those hopes, are any of them certain? No. And sometimes we think of the word hope and we think almost more like a wish, I wish or I really want this to happen, but they're not certain. Well, I want to start straight away. Psalm 33, verses 18 to 22 say this, But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him. That's not a scary, terrified fear. It's a much more great respect. Those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love, to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. That's a certain hope that's being talked about there, isn't it? That's not an iffy-wiffy, I hope you're there. He's talking about a shield. He's talking about a strength. He's talking about a trust. Because those whose hope is in his unfailing love. That sounds pretty secure, doesn't it? Yeah? We've had some pretty bad wind. Well, that sounds very personal. We've had some pretty bad storms over the last couple of weeks. Who's had sort of things that have just blown away or been destroyed in the garden? Yeah? I saw a picture of somebody with a caravan upside down in their front garden. 
That's how bad the wind was. And actually, sometimes when these troubles come, maybe we feel a bit like that caravan and we're just not sure whether we're actually going to stay. I sat in our lounge on Friday night last week when it was really bad and we had a power cut. And actually, I just I sit there and I listen to the wind and we're, we live in an old barn and the roof was never redone. It was okay. But you just think, are we going to have to do some work? We, we don't sit there. I sit there hoping that everything's going to be okay. But I can't be certain... But the Bible tells me again and again and again and again that I can hope in God because I can trust him. He's unfailing. His love lasts forever. And it's not a hope that's a wish. It's a hope that is certain. The prophet Micah wrote about 800 years before Jesus was born. He was writing to to the nation to say to them, don't worry. A saviour is coming. And he wrote this, Micah chapter 5 verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. I'll read that again. Out of you, Bethlehem. We all know about Bethlehem. That's where Jesus was born. This was written 800 years before that happened. He couldn't have known Bethlehem wasn't a major city. It was a small place. Out of you, Bethlehem, though you are small, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Sue Townsend wrote the Adrian Mole books. When I was young, they were the big popular books. But she also wrote a book, I think it was called The Queen and I, And it talked about the fictional idea that the royal family had been ousted by a coup and they'd been made to live in a northern council estate. So they were all living in different council houses and they all ended up with all sorts of issues. And it was a funny book designed to sort of look at what could happen if. But it portrayed a very different reality. And the idea of that story was it would shock you to think of the queen living on the roughest council estate in your town. That would be a shocker, wouldn't it? Could you imagine if all of a sudden, instead of the royal family living in Buckingham Palace, they were living in your street? That would be a bit of a shocker. That would be a bit of a shocker. Well, actually, what Micah says here jars, because monarchs were expected to be born in Jerusalem. Kings were expected to come from Jerusalem, the city, the main place where the temple was. You know, it'd be like saying, in 800 years' time, the, the, the next king or queen will be born in Furnished General, delivered by Chloe Harrison, you know? That, that's, as, that's as ridiculous as this statement sounds. <laughs> Sorry, Chloe. Well, 800 years in Furnished, you'd be going some to still be working in 800 years. Can you imagine if all of a sudden that announcement was made, you would be just like, no way, not a chance. Because the kings and queens of this country are born in London, aren't they? They're born in a private hospital, away from prying eyes, and that's the expectation. Well, the kings were meant to be born in Jerusalem. And Micah says, no, Bethlehem, that little place, Bethlehem is where a ruler from ancient of days, a ruler who's been around for a long time, a ruler, the line of David is going to come. 800 years before it happened. That's amazing, isn't it? That's one of hundreds of prophecies of Jesus that happened hundreds of years before it happened. 
Jesus couldn't have controlled that. He had no say over what happened or where he was born. But nobody would believe it. Kings were supposed to be born in Jerusalem. Yet Micah shares this news. Oh, little town of Bethlehem, a ruler is coming. A ruler is coming. And he's going to come from you. One from ancient times. Jesus. The Bible tells us he was there at the beginning. Father, Son, and Spirit. Ancient times, yeah? It's not a new thing. It's the one who's been around. I think this is exciting. Yeah, some of you think, oh, I mean, it'll be fun. It's fine. Micah would have been thought, crazy. That's madness. There's not a chance. Little Bethlehem, poof, that backwater place, they talk funny. A bit like Barrow. They talk funny. They put at at the end of every sentence. Where's my keys? At. Or me mum. They talk about me mum. All these different things. They don't even have a palace there. Not a chance a king's got to be born. There's not a palace. There's no temple in Bethlehem. Not a chance. But Micah, two chapters later, chapter 7 and verse 7, goes on to say this. But as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God my Savior. My God will hear me. His hope wasn't a, I hope it's going to be okay. His hope wasn't a, hoping that nothing bad will happen. His hope was a certainty of a king and a saviour that was going to come. And that's what he was waiting and watching for. This Christmas, what are we waiting for? What are we watching for? What are we hoping for? Are we hoping for the next new phone or are we hoping for a king of kings? Are we hoping for one who is above it all? Micah had hope, not a wish, but a certainty. Where are your hopes? Today I might say to you, what are your hopes in? Your hopes might be in your children. Your hopes might be in your family. You might have hopes for your future. You might have hopes for your health. You might have hopes for your relationships. You might have hopes in your finances, hopes for your job, hopes in the next year. You might even just stick to hopes for next week. But we can't be as certain about those things as we can about the fact that God's love is unfailing. We can't be as certain about those hopes as we can in the fact that Jesus was born that Jesus will return, that Jesus is that king that was promised. That is a certain hope. That's not an iffy, wishy-washy maybe. It's a certain hope. Most of our hopes are wishes, not expectation, but those whose hope is in his unfailing love. Who wants to be loved by something that's unfailing? I do. Somebody that won't let you down? I do. God will not let us down. That is the king that's promised in a little town of Bethlehem, a ruler of ancient days that's going to come from that small place. The unexpected way, they weren't ready for it, that he will deliver, that he loves. You know, I've done Go Ape a few times. Anyone else done Go Ape or treetop treks? For those of you who don't know, you're about 40, 50 foot high in the trees. And do you know the thing about Go Ape, you've got to put your trust in the ropes, you've got to put your trust in the carabiners, you've got to put your trust in the trees that have stood there for hundreds of years, and you've got to put your trust in yourself, and that's the part I don't like, okay? I'm not, I'm not a fan of heights, particularly watching other people at heights. When I was very little, I can remember sitting on a beach somewhere, and I think I've shared this before, and my dad was lining up to go paragliding off the back of a boat, you know, where they tow somebody around on, in a parachute. And uh, I looked at the parachute, looked at my dad, looked at the parachute, looked at my dad, and eventually I turned to him and said, Dad, if you die, can I have your cine camera? (laughs) 
because that was what I wanted. That was the big thing in those days. Dad, if you die, because I was thinking, I'm not sure he's coming back from this. Because I didn't have a certainty, because I just saw this thing flying around the bay. Well, when I did go ape, my biggest problem is that I had to trust myself because you've got to fasten yourself in at every point. You've always got two points or one point connected. And my biggest fear in that moment is that I couldn't trust myself. That was my biggest fear. And actually, that's why in life we cannot trust ourselves because I did not have a certainty I would survive. I would be jumping off a tree thinking, oh, here goes, knowing I'd done everything I was supposed to do. I'd fastened every bit I was told to do. But as I jumped off that tree to do what I needed to do, in my mind, I'm still thinking, this might be the last time I ever jump off a tree. That's because I'm a bit of a wuss. Because actually I had no certainty in myself. Yet Micah talks of a certain hope. A hope that will be met in little Bethlehem. A hope that will be found and that will come to pass. It will happen. That's what he says. It will happen. There's a certainty. A hope that might be far off, but will arrive at some point. And he's prepared to wait and watch. Are we prepared to wait for God's promises? Are we prepared to hope in what he has? Are we prepared to trust him in his certainty rather than trusting ourselves all the time? Because you might not be scared of heights, but there'll come a point where you have to put your trust in yourself and you'll know that you might not get there. It might be driving, thinking, actually, I'm tired. You've got to put your trust in yourself in those moments. And actually, that's not a good place to put our trust because we can fail. But God will never let us down. His hope is unfailing. Matthew chapter 12, verses 18 to 21, quotes some verses from Isaiah, also written hundreds of years before Jesus, written before Jesus came around. And it says this, Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. God's about fairness. That's what we're supposed to represent, fairness, justice, and love. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. In his name, the nations will put their hope. Let's just unpack that a little bit. It's about Jesus. It's accredited to Jesus. But hundreds of years before Jesus came, and the nations will put their hope in his name. Do you not think that's amazing? Not just the Jewish nation, not just Israel, but the nations. The nations. Statistically at the moment, there are currently 21 nations in the world which would officially say they were Christian. But then there are at least 50 that are on a watch list where they can't proclaim themselves as Christian. But there are churches that are growing and exploding is the wrong word. Growing and getting bigger. So let's say the 71 nations in the world that currently there are people who say, Jesus is my Lord. That their hope is in his name. 71 nations. The name of Jesus. A guy from a little town called Bethlehem in the Middle East. A guy who had 12 close followers. A guy who 
ministry only lasted for three years. He was alive for 33 before he was crucified and then rose again. But his ministry was for three years. And Isaiah, hundreds of years before, said the nations will hope in his name. Wow. Isn't that amazing? From a little place like Bethlehem, 71 nations in the 21st century would proclaim that they follow Jesus. Whether they mean it by just religion or whether it's through relationship. That's amazing. And that is a prophecy in the Bible that says the nations will hope in his name. They do. (laughs) They do. But it takes time. Luke chapter 1. We're going towards the the beginning of the Christmas story. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth... Let me get this right. In the sixth month... Sixth is a hard word to say sometimes, isn't it? Anyway. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary... The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. I'm just going to read. This is the message she got. Greetings, highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Yeah? If I said that to you today, if I said, Greetings, you, and you are highly favoured, and the Lord is with you. Is that encouraging? Other than my creepy face. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty encouraging, isn't it? Okay. Mary was greatly troubled at his words. I'd read that and I thought, that's a bit strange. Greetings, you're highly favoured, the Lord is with you. Mary was troubled. Why? And wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Well, I think Mary was troubled because Mary would know that when God sent a messenger in some way, her past and her her ancestors would tell her, it usually meant that she was going to have to do something. It usually meant that she was going to have to act. It usually meant God wasn't just asking her to be a token follower. God was going to ask her to step up. I think this morning, God is saying to each one of us, if you're a Christian in this building, God is saying, greetings. You are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. And I think he's asking us to act. He's not asking us to sit on a chair. We say this all the time. But what are your hopes? Are they in God? Or maybe you have a fear that God will ask you to step up. Maybe this morning your fear is, actually, you're going to be asked to do something you really don't want to do. Mary was greatly troubled because this message came to her and she thought, "Uh uh-oh, here's my time. Something's going to happen. This isn't just a, a little friendly greeting. This is a serious request. And I don't know what it's going to be. It was the fear of the unknown. You know, Abraham had been asked to do many things by God. Moses was asked to do many things by God. Joseph, Samuel, all those different things. Hannah were asked to do serious things for God. And their lives were not always easy, but they were blessed. And they were, they were lifted high as a hero of faith in the Bible. Mary was greatly troubled. Verse 30, but the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Mary, do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and 
He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. These verses and these words, this message echoes what Micah said. There's got to be a king that's got to rule over Jacob's line and his kingdom will never end. His love is unfailing. His love is never ending. Mary would know these scriptures and she would hear them and go, it's happening. It's happening. You know, it wasn't quite holidays are coming, holidays are coming. It wasn't that. You know, there was not a big Coke, a Coca-Cola wagon driving through Bethlehem with the lights flashing going, come and, come and buy some Coca-Cola. But Mary would have known this is what we've been waiting for. This is what we've been waiting for. This is what we've been waiting for. He will reign over Jacob's descendants. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I believe every Sunday when we share God's word, no word of God will ever fail. You might go away untouched, unchanged, whatever, but somebody will be reached by Jesus because his word will never fail. What does Mary say? I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Basically, Mary says, here I am. Here I am. It's the same response that Abraham, Moses, Joseph, Jacob, all of those different people. Here I am. Do not be afraid, for God's word will never fail. Here I am. So I asked you about your hopes. In God, we can have a hope that is certain, a hope that is sure, a hope that is steadfast, that will never change. What are your fears this morning? What are your fears? What are you afraid of? Actually, we can put the same list of fears next to our list of hopes. Yeah? Can't we? Hopes for our children, fears for our children. You know, my kids are still in their 20s. I still fear for them. I still worry for them. The things we listed in our hopes earlier can act as our fears. Hopes for the future, fears for the future. Hopes in your finance, fears in your finance. Hopes for your job, fears for your job. Hopes for your health, fears for your health. Hope for employment, fears for employment. And that's because our hopes are so uncertain that they're actually our fears too. Because we think they might never happen. We're worried that actually if we don't get that thing, that, that everything will collapse. Whereas actually, hope in Jesus... It's not fear in Jesus. You can't replace it. There's a respect, but there's a hope in him because it's certain. It's sure. The famous uh, preacher, Charles Spurgeon, wrote this, and it was posted on Facebook this week, and I just I loved what it said. Charles Spurgeon was going around telling people all about Jesus, telling people about this hope, and he says this, My hope lives not because I'm not a sinner. I'll say that again. My hope lives not because I'm not a sinner, but because I am a sinner for whom Christ has died. My trust is not that I am holy, but that being unholy, he is my righteousness. My faith rests not upon what I am or shall be or feel or know, but in what Christ is, in what he has done and what he is now doing for me. Yeah? 
Don't be hoping and trusting in yourself because actually then all your fears will come true. If we hope in God, then actually we know that our hope can be there. We know that he is trustworthy. We know that he's holy and he makes us holy, not through anything we can do, but for what he's already done. Hopes and fears of all the years are met in Jesus. That's what our little town of Bethlehem says. Your hopes and fears are met in Jesus because he becomes the one hope that we need. He becomes the only hope that we need. He becomes the only thing that we need to look to no matter our circumstances. Our circumstances will change. The Friday night the other week, it was windy. If it had carried on being windy for a week, I'd have thought, well, this is it forever. But it changed. You might be in the middle of a storm right now, but that storm will pass. God's love will not ever pass. It will never fail. Last reading, Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 11. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. They were afraid. Their fears were there. They were sat minding their own business in a field, looking after sheep. And all of a sudden, poof! Big worship group in the sky, you know? Big light show. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, Bethlehem, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. They were terrified. They were afraid. But they received good news. That's because they still were thinking with their brains on earth as what on earth is this all about? They were the great unwashed, the shepherds. Yeah, that's who they were. They were doing the night shift of the worst possible job that you could have. So they were pretty unimportant people. They were minding their own business when heaven broke through and reminded them of Micah's promise. The hopes and fears of all the years I met in Bethlehem in a baby who will be the saviour. That's the message. That was the good news they were given. What are your hopes and what are your fears? They collide in the baby that was born, in the saviour that died and rose again, who says, my love is unfailing, my hope is unending, my joy is given to you and my peace is for you. Our hopes and fears may be colliding in our circumstances right now. They may be getting dashed or smashed or overshadowed by what's going on. Well, we need to meet them with Jesus and in Jesus. We need to meet them in the one that was born. The shepherds that night didn't have time to go and tidy themselves up before they went to see the baby. They didn't have time to put on the best clothes, have a shower, put a bit of links on. They didn't have time for that. They went because they had good news and they went there and then straight away because they knew they had to be there. They left rejoicing. Why? Myself and Roz used a book and did a study called The Rock and the Rabbi. And it was about a person who toured Jerusalem with a Messianic Jew, a Jew that had become a Christian, had realised that Jesus was this promised one. And he wrote about the shepherds. And I'm going to share this as I finish, because I think this is amazing. I think it's amazing. And when we read the Bible, we don't always see some of the history. We don't see some of the culture. We just read the story and we think, oh, it's like the nativity play, those shepherds with tea towels on their heads. That's what we think. But 
historians have recognised these were not just ordinary shepherds. Where they were looking after the sheep was called the field of shepherds. It's near Bethlehem, near Jerusalem, in between. But these shepherds were thought to be what's called Levitical shepherds. The Levites were the priests. The tribe of the Levites were the priests at the time. So these shepherds were the Levitical shepherds. These sheep that they were looking after in particular would have been the ewes of the flock, the female sheep that were ready to give birth. And these female sheep had a special job. They would give birth to the Passover lambs, the ones that were going to be pure and spotless, that wouldn't have any blemish, and that would be safely delivered, ready to go to the temple for the Passover feast and the sacrifice. Are you with me so far? When the ewes were in labour, sounds like I'm from Liverpool, when ewes were in labour, no, when, when the ewes were in labour, the shepherds would take them into the sheep tower, which was like a cave-like tower. It was a cave-like tower. They would take them into this cave-like tower, and when the lambs arrived, they would wrap them tightly with bands of linen because these sheep might thrash around, and they don't, we've had sheep in our farm, and they're a bit mad. But they would wrap them tightly with these strips of cloth so that they wouldn't hurt themselves and they wouldn't mark themselves. Are you with me so far? So, they were then laid in a manger, waiting for inspection by the more important shepherds. They were led to a manger, waiting to be passed as good enough for the Passover sacrifice. Something called the priestly shepherd would come and inspect them to see if they were good enough for the Passover. Yeah? With me so far? I'll keep saying it because I just think this is amazing. What were these shepherds told? They were told to go and find a baby lying in a manger. Ding! They knew where to go. There's nothing in the, the angel's message that says, go to this place and go to there. You know, if we want to go somewhere, one person last night didn't get to Russell's house because he needed directions. These shepherds immediately knew where to go because it was the same place that they would go with their ewes. And they would come. They were told to find the baby lying in a manger. They saw him wrapped in swaddling cloth. They saw him wrapped tightly and they would know that here was the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. They would know. And these unimportant shepherds had been chosen to inspect the ultimate Passover lamb. That's amazing. And this isn't Johnny Harrison, not fact. This is Jewish history. It's incredible. They were chosen to go and inspect the unblemished Lamb of God and to be shown that they were promised what they were hoping for had now come. Jesus entered a barn-like cave. It wasn't a little stable that we see. It was a cave. It was. The word for it is, 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 is more a cave than a barn. He was born in the mess of manure, in the mess of a broken world, in a world that wasn't ready for him. In a world that had no room for him. And what did he do? He brought joy. He brought good news. He brought a promise. There was no time for expensive gifts to be bought or to Febreze the manger. There was no time for that. He came right in the middle of the mess. Do you know, there's no time to sweep up the mess. Jesus says, I want to come now. 
You don't have to get yourself swept up and sorted. You need to just be open. And you need to see the Lamb of God. Because at last he had come. All our hope can be certain in him. And all our fears can be given to him. The last verse of the carol says this. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in to be born in us today. That is the promise of Micah for now. He will come in and cast out. He will come in and clean up. He will come into the mess of our lives and say, I'm making you holy. He'll come into the, the, the brokenness of our situation. Jesus, who broke into the stillness of the little town, wants to enter into our little lives. And he wants to sort us out. Do you know, I, want, I can't trust in myself on those ropes because I still have fear. But I can trust in Jesus. I can have a hope that is certain. What are your hopes and fears? Can they be met in Jesus today? Yes. Because he is a hope that is certain. How are you trying to deal with your hopes and fears? By yourself? In your own strength? With your best intentions? Christ in me, the hope of glory. Christ in me, the hope of glory. The hopes and fears of all the years can be met in him today. You've just got to say, I'm going to go and visit him. I'm going to go and welcome him. You've got to receive the good news. The direction is simple. Go to him. Find him. Accept him. And welcome him. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you this morning that we can know your hope and your truth. And Father, I pray for anyone in this room this morning who feels a mess, who feels like their hope has gone or that they've never had any hope. Father God, I pray, Lord, that they will know that you are the one that makes the difference. Our hope is because of you, not because of us. Our fears can be put in you and you will take them and you will carry them and nail them to a cross. And Father God, just like Micah promised the Savior was coming, you promised that Jesus will come again. So Father, I pray, Lord, that each one of us will want to come to the baby, want to come to the man who has died and resurrected for us. And Father, I pray today that nothing will stop us. Those shepherds didn't hesitate. They didn't put excuses in the way. They just said, here I am. Mary didn't hesitate. Here I am. This morning, I pray that people in this room who do not know you will not hesitate. And we'll say, here I am. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his promise. And we thank you for his unfailing love. In your name, amen.